0: Mac Power Users, Episode 86, Workflows with Wendy Chawinski. to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with David Sparks, and we're joined today by speechwriter and presenter, Wendy Cherwinsky. Welcome, Wendy. Thanks. Great to be here.
1: So, Wendy, you and I first met at Macworld, I don't know, three or four years ago. Uh, you gave a session on Keynote, which I thought was very good. And we started talking, and you've got a really interesting career. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do?
2: Okay. Okay. Uh- I have a communication company called Echelon Communications, and I specialize in the spoken word. In other words, I write speeches and presentations for my clients, uh, and I teach people how to write speeches and presentations in workshops, webinars, seminars, and, and by speaking at, at events.
1: Yeah, and so you work uh, mainly in Canada, And I understand you work with a lot of politicians and CEOs, and your job is to help them not blow it when they stand in front of a group of people.
2: Yeah, my my job is to... uh Put what they want to say in a conversational form that will engage their audiences and a- answer their questions, and you know, uh, persuade them to their point of view. And I-, I must admit, I do work for politicians, but in their capacity as as ministers of the crown, as we say in Canada. In other words, I'm not a partisan speechwriter. I'm I work for for politicians who are holding government office.
1: Okay, I didn't realize that. So. And once they, they get the gig, you're going to help them do a, do a good job of it. That's right. Excellent. And and so anyway, Wendy, so we've known each other for a few years now. And I've always been impressed with all the ways you use your technology. And we've been meaning to get around to this forever. And we finally have got some time. And I'm really happy that you agreed to join us. So today we're going to talk about your workflows. Um, so why don't we start with your equipment? What are you using to to pull off this job?
2: Okay, uh, I do most of my work at an iMac, and uh, it's it's a little long in the tooth now. I've had it for about five or six years, so I'm going to be replacing it fairly soon, which uh, means some big decisions, uh, and sometimes I work on a MacBook Pro, which I adore, uh, because... Uh, I have uh, actually two offices in my house, so I bounce back and forth between the two of them, and I usually have one computer in one office, one in the other. Um, and I work on my iPad. I have an iPad 2. I haven't uh, gone to a 3 yet. And I have an iPhone 4. So uh, Oh, and I guess uh, the other thing is my husband, Wally, and I, we share a MacBook Air, and we have it set up for two users and it's our bling machine
1: yeah and so
2: sometimes i take you on the road a, yeah. yeah on the road or sometimes if i'm doing a presentation somewhere and i i want to travel lighter than taking my uh macbook
0: pro i take the mac air and macbook air instead tell me a little bit about this two office setup you have that's that's kind of unique how did that come about
2: Well, I have one main office uh, that I work in, and it's actually a a basement office, and in the winter, it's great. I really love being uh, in that office, and I have a wood stove, and on cold, nasty days, I, I have a fire, and I listen to the fire crackle as I work along. Uh, but other times I don't want to be subterranean, so I have a writer's—I call it my writer's studio—but it's a, a converted a greenhouse, and uh, it's just the perfect spot uh, to sit and work. Lots of windows looking out on the street, uh, lots of sunshine, and uh, I have a phone, and I—I I put my computer in there. I shut the door and it's soundproof and just a, a really uh, productive place to get some work done. So uh, generally, if I'm working on a special prog- project where I really want to focus, then I go into that room.
1: Wendy, what part of Canada are you in?
2: I, I'm in Ottawa, the capital of Canada, so I'm in eastern Canada.
1: Okay. Now, the um, it gets pretty cold up there, I imagine, in the winter.
2: Yes. Ottawa, it it ties with Ulaanbaatar for coldest capital city in the world.
1: (laughs) Really? I didn't know that. My family's originally from Quebec. So when I was little, I had some connections up there, but now I I don't sadly, Uh, except friends. Ah. uh, So, so during the winter you go down in the basement and during the summer you come up into the greenhouse.
2: Yeah. Or, uh, I have a, a third space we have a sun porch on uh, on the yard side of our house and quite often I'll, I'll go work there on really nice summer days and open all the windows and and enjoy the outdoors as i'm working but uh, the problem is there's a lot of distractions when you do that
1: so tell me does the, the 13-inch macbook air spoil you i mean do you uh, in comparison to using a 15-inch macbook pro and a 13-inch macbook air where do you see the trade-offs, you know, other than the obvious weight in battery life?
2: Oh, okay. Well, if you're working on a keynote a slide, for instance, you're looking at a much smaller screen. So, uh, uh, you, you, it's you, a little more difficult to do fine work on, but not that much more difficult. Uh, so, I, I don't find there are a lot of trade-offs. I just love the MacBook Air.
1: Yeah, I've had the same experience. I mean, the I went from a 15-inch MacBook Pro to a 13-inch MacBook Air a couple of years ago, and the 13-inch MacBook Air actually has the same number of pixels on the screen as my old 15-inch MacBook Pro. They're a little more compressed, obviously, but I really didn't miss the bigger computer at all.
2: Yes, and I've been thinking of of getting an eleven inch MacBook Air, but uh, I've hesitated to because I just wondered if I would notice a big difference if I, you know, went down another two
0: inches. That that eleven inch is so tempting, but I've I've hesitated for the exact same reason. It's just, is it a little too small?
1: Yeah, well, as we record this, the Intel chips are finally making it into the wild. And I would expect that we will be getting new MacBook Airs and laptops pretty soon from Apple. And I think a lot of us will be looking at that. And then there's this rumored uh, lighter weight, 15-inch. I don't know if it's a MacBook Air or if it's just a slim down 15-inch. And I could make a case for all three of them, honestly. Sure
0: so wendy what is a what is a typical work day like for you what What types of tasks are you doing at these these various machines and in these various offices that you have
2: okay uh a typical work day actually the of uh, running your own business and doing this sort of work is there aren't a lot of typical work days, but more or less, uh, one thing I'll be doing is maybe starting a speech assignment. Uh, And generally, uh, I'll be working on uh, my big machine in my uh, basement office. and, And so I'll be talking with a client and getting background information and then starting to do research um, organize material, produce documents, that sort of thing. Uh, I might also be working on uh, a presentation, maybe for a workshop I'm doing, or because I'm speaking at a conference. So once again, I've I've got to do research. Uh, gather information, organize it uh, into a script, and then I've got to work on visuals. I have to create slides, and sometimes video, I'll be taking excerpts, uh, video excerpts and putting them on slides and uh, putting them into a show. So that's uh, most
0: of what I do. So when a client comes to you and says, I... I have to give a speech. It's on X, Y, Z topic. This is the date that I have to give it. Is that how a typical assignment comes to you? And then do they give you material? I mean, I would imagine that a speech could be anything on, uh, obviously I'm making things up, but, you know, water policy or transportation. And those could be things that you have, you know, anywhere from absolutely no knowledge about to limited knowledge about. How, How does that work in terms of, are you actually researching this or are you putting together information that someone brings to you?
2: A combination. So, uh, quite often, say it's a client that I've had for a while uh, um, is in the area of health research, and so they'll uh, come to me with the and they'll uh, what they'll send me quite often are emails that they've had with uh, an organization that's invited their leader to speak, etc. So, I'm getting the background the date, uh, the topic, the, uh, the time period uh, that they'll be expected to fill, etc. And then they'll send me uh, maybe news releases, backgrounders, uh, documents, or they'll say, look in our five-year plan, uh, that sort of thing, or I'll already have background information. And also, uh, I've been a speechwriter for a long time, and back in the good old days, uh, a client would send you you know physically um documents to refer to as you were putting together the speech. Now they say, "Oh, just look on the internet, <laughs> so a lot of the research that used to be done for you you have to spend yourself doing, so you've got to search the the net pretty effectively and, and get the information so that's the start point and then once I have all this material together I get a sense of you know uh, what's what, what the main message is going to be if there's going to be a call to action what are the main points that the speaker should probably address uh, in the speech and that's when you start working on an outline and uh, generally I'll send that to the client and they'll um, let me know one way or the other if I'm on the right track. And then from that point, I can start developing uh, a script.
1: Okay. Now, I want to slow down a little bit because you just covered a lot. Um, so okay. when you're researching, you use the Internet tools. Uh, what's your browser by the of choice, by the way? Safari. Okay.
2: So um, I use Safari most often.
1: Uh, do you use any tools to collect the research or as you find websites you need? What do you do with the information you find?
2: Yeah. Uh, I use Scrivener. That is, okay. I know some of your other guests have recently extolled the virtues of Scrivener, and I'm a huge fan of Scrivener uh, because it allows me to collect the research and put it in place. And so when I'm working on a speech, I don't have to run all over my desktop uh, looking for things. Because everything is in that one file. So every client that I get, I set up a Scrivener document for that person and I pour everything in, which is very useful because maybe you're working on, you know, the third or fourth or fifth um, speech for a certain client and you realize, hey, you know, a few speeches ago I used this or that document. Well, it's easy to find.
1: Now, that's interesting. So rather than make a separate Scrivener project for each new speech assignment, you do it based on the client. So, yes. if you've got the Minister of Magic as a client, you uh, pull in uh, research you find on the internet related to him and his department, and you keep that. And then, I guess in Scrivener, you have separate tabs for each speech you do for him?
2: Yes, I do. In the draft section, I'll yeah. have uh, a tab for each speech, and I'll keep all the drafts and all the outlines and everything that I produced. Uh, connected to that uh, assignment uh, in that tab. Then I go down to research and I put the very same title and then all of the research material that I've gathered goes in under that tab. Makes sense. And then uh, on top of that, this is what I find so useful about Scrivener, I'll have documents that there's a good chance I'll have to refer to. Um, If you're writing for someone in government, the latest speech from the throne the latest budget statement uh the organization's strategic plan all those things uh are in another file where i can go and get them anytime i want to within this
0: uh client file
1: yeah so you've got additional research and specific research
0: yes because i would imagine they all have to be on message or they all have to be timely depending on what's going on in other branches of government or, or what the edict is from on high.
2: Yes. Uh, you know, you have the big picture. You know, what, what's the, in the case of government, what's the big picture? What's the, the big pushes and policies, et cetera? And then you work your way down to what's the sub-organization's big picture? And then what's the where does this issue that you're talking about in the speech fit into those other things?
1: And Scrivener makes that really easy. You can just drop in a Word document or a PDF or even just a website, and it creates that link right there in the, in the app for you. Yes. So you're doing yeah. your research. You've already got the Scrivener file open, and you just drug everything in. And then at some point, you say, okay, I've got enough research. I need to start outlining. That's the next step, right? Right. And do you do that in Scrivener as well?
2: Sometimes. If it's a short speech, I'll do it in Scrivener. If it's a longer, more detailed one, someone's going to talk 15 to 20 minutes or it's sort of a keynote speech, Uh, I might go to Omni Outliner and uh, use it. And then when I'm happy with the outline, I've created an Omni Outliner. I cut and paste it into Scrivener so I can refer to it in Scrivener
1: yeah you could also you should try using o p. m. l. to move that over sometime have you ever done have you ever played with that
2: uh no i haven't
1: yeah you gotta try that so you can export omni outliner as o p m l and then you can import it into scrivener and it automatically creates all the tabs and everything for you It breaks each each element of the outline into a separate um folder or a separate you know text entry for scrivener It's very cool yeah that would work for you i think. Takes care of all the round tripping. How much time do you spend in Omni Outliner, like on a big speech, you know, planning it out?
0: Oh, uh, well,
2: one thing I've found is the more time you spend planning your speech, the less time you spend writing it. And Amen, I think I've sister. heard that's you- true. Yeah, it's true. So I spend a lot of time, and what I love about. Uh, Uh, omni outliner is uh when i think of things i come across a great quote or an anecdote or something i can just plug it in to the outline and hide it so i don't have to look at it on a you know regular basis but i've got it there and i'm not going to forget about it and i also like uh the columns so uh i can put notes to my client in, in a in a column to the side, like, uh, okay, salutations, don't know exactly who's going to be there, perhaps so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so, do you want to add a few more names to the list, and things like this, so, no. or I chose this story uh, for this particular reason, but we could do something different if you'd like, so when they get the outline, uh, they also get an idea of thinking behind your outline,
1: Now, when you are working with these people, I would guess that not all of them have Macs on the Outliner installed, right? No. Okay. So so I might have to... How do you share it?
2: um, I can make a PDF of it.
1: Okay. So you just send it as a PDF file.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that is uh, one thing I run into on a regular basis is my clients. I'm working for people who work on PCs, and I'm working on a Mac,
1: yeah, well, like with the Omni products, like Omni Outliner and Om- and Omni Plan, both of them, which I do a lot of planning, which involves other people, I find sending it as PDF is kind of liberating, and maybe it's just because of my control freak nature, but I like the idea that you get a PDF and you cannot change it. You know, you exactly. can look at it and you can talk to me about something you might want to change, and I'll I'll change it for you. But I don't want people going in and mucking up my outlines and plans. So. Uh, to a certain extent, I consider that a feature.
2: Yes, uh, I turn a lot of things into PDFs for that very reason. When I send something to somebody, I, I want it to stay just the way I sent it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, so you spend a lot of time getting this outline done, and then you send it off to the client or or the person giving the speech, presumably, and then you have a feedback process with them. Do you go through usually find yourself going through several drafts on these outlines?
2: uh no on the outline they're going to tell you whether you're you're on target or off and then you make some changes and maybe i'll send a second copy of the outline generally uh we get we get that sorted out with just one or two goes and then i go to uh producing drafts from that and of course when you produce the draft sometimes the outline doesn't work exactly the way you thought it was going to and and you move things around etc and that's the point at which I find the client really perks up and takes a lot of notice okay Uh, and and that's when I'll start getting changes
1: okay and so when you work on the draft you've already you've either stayed in Scrivener or you've moved the Omni outline data into Scrivener and started writing there correct?
2: Yes, and this is what I love about Scrivener, is you can split the screen, and so I put the outline on one half of the screen, and I'm writing the draft on the other half of the screen, and that saves a ton of time. I don't know quite how it does it, but it it really does.
1: Do you split it vertically or horizontally, just out of curiosity?
2: Vertically.
1: Yeah, me too. You know, the default is horizontal, and... I need to write them a note. It just makes so much more sense to me vertically, especially with these widescreen uh, computers. Even the laptops are widescreen these days. So it's really nice being able to see uh, two documents at once. If you're listening at home, you're not aware of this. In Scrivener, you can push a button, and you can have two different text documents, in essence, open at the same time. So you can reference one while looking at another. You can also put your research in that other screen. So if you're looking at something and you've got a PDF on one side, and your text on the other side. is great when you're writing.
2: Yes, and I often do that. I'll have my research open as I'm writing. And once again, it's so great to be able to refer to your research uh, when you're writing something and you thought, oh, I thought I remembered this phrase, but uh, better just go back and, and check that I've got it right. Um, and something else that I put in a lot of my Scrivener files is a glossary, and timeline. I build those myself uh, because often dates are important. When did they sure. approve this project or start something new, etc. And uh, you just want to be able to find it in a second without having to go back and review documents.
1: So you'll just have, it's basically text, right? Just saying a date and the event with just a list of them down the page. Yes. Okay, yeah. great.
2: And I'll just do it chronological order and the same thing with the glossary i'll put maybe a three times and then under that every term that starts with a yeah and how big a, do those I'll glossaries get uh it it depends on on the issue sometimes you know there's just 10 or 15 entries and sometimes maybe i'll find a glossary uh, like a, a printing terms glossary or something and i'll pop that, that in yeah
1: isn't Scrivener awesome. I just love that app.
2: It's Versace. it's like a black hole in terms of the amount of material you can pour to it. You just pour it in forever it seems.
1: I just can't stop talking about it because any big project it's just so useful. And in essence what you're doing with the way you're using it, which I think is kind of ingenious, building a separate project for each each speaker. this this glossary, like everything else I would imagine, would continue to grow as you do more projects for this person. And as time goes on, you could have quite a file.
2: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Something else I sometimes do is I either develop them myself or I collect them as Q&A packages on various issues. And you put those in, too, so you can get quick answers to... You know, commonly asked questions about a certain uh, project that you're working on.
1: So are these these answers for the speaker to give, like a list of questions and answers, like preparing them for a press conference, or is this just stuff for your own reference?
2: It's for my own reference, but it's basically the you know, the building blocks of what they're talking about is... uh, I I tell people that uh, Q&A packages are sort of the basis of all other communications uh, products that you're going to produce. They're the basis of news releases, backgrounders, speeches, everything else. So uh, they're like gold uh, because you've thought out discrete answers to questions. Uh, and, And there's a lot of, you know... Proper intellectual material in there that you can use in, in all the other uh, products that you're you're
0: working on. That's a really good point. I'd never thought of that.
1: Do you share those with the client, or is it just for your own reference? Though I don't, I'm not really sure what you're. Uh,
2: yes, I share them with the client. I often ask the client, "Do you have?" If 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 I'm talking to a subject matter expert, I'll say, "Do you have a and A package?" And sometimes they do. And can you send it to me? And then I put it in Scrivener and I have it to refer to.
0: All right, let's take a quick break and talk about our first sponsor, and that is Fujitsu and their ScanSnap line of products. Now, David... As you know, I'm a huge fan of the ScanSnap products, as I know you are, and I've been taking a couple of cues from your your paperless book recently, and I took the big leap recently. I took that spare ScanSnap scanner that we had on our receptionist desk, and I moved it over to my assistant's desk. And I'm going to try to kind of come in through the back door and see if I can shift our office into the paperless lifestyle. And I must say, I've, I've already got quite a few glances from people in the office wondering exactly what's going on with that scanner and, and what's happening to that paper after we run it through. People are very interested in this whole idea of, of scanning their documents, going paperless, and um, you know, just having access to all of their content digitally and not worrying about these files and folders and file cabinets and all of the upkeep that goes with that.
1: Yeah, well, when you show up in a meeting and are able to find the document nobody has in a few minutes on your iPad, then they're all going to get really interested. And the ScanSnap makes that so easy because anybody can run it. You install the software, you put the documents in the scanner, and you press press the blue button.
0: There are three different models of ScanSnap that work specifically with the Mac. There's the ScanSnap S1100, which I call their uh, very portable scanner. I take this with me all the time when I go on trips or when I'm in mediations. This is the scanner that I can throw in my briefcase, uh, and it will scan a single sheet of paper. And they've got software built in where you can combine multiple pages together, and it will do uh, simple OCR and all that kind of stuff. Uh, they've got the ScanSnap S1300, which you, I think, call the hotel room scanner. It's also designed to be portable, so you could put it in a briefcase or a travel bag. Uh, it's also great for a small desk. If you don't need a big document feeder, you can feed up to 10 pages in this.
1: Yeah, and, and if you have a small workspace. Mode front and back. Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt. Good. If you have a small workspace, though, you can also just stick it in a drawer and just pull it out when you need to scan.
0: Yeah, and it will still do duplexing. It will scan both pages, front and back. It's a very handy little scanner, and and it's got quite a bit of horsepower to it. And then, of course, the Mac Daddy of the Scan Snaps for Mac is the one that's sitting on my desk right now. That's the S1500M, and that's got the big paper tray that will scan up to 50 pages at a time, front and back, so up to a 100 pages, depending on on how you've got them configured, and you can just throw anything in here. You can throw, you know, different sizes, different shapes, different uh, different colors, front and back, color, black and white. The ScanSnap software is so smart, it will figure that all out, it will organize it, and it will optimize your file size accordingly. And then if you want, because our Macs are so fast now, you can run everything through OCR immediately as you scan it and come out with this beautifully OCR document at the end of the day that you can search with Spotlight.
1: You know what I was going to suggest for your secretary's desk is go ahead and turn on OCR on the ScanSnap settings. And when you do that, it'll just add a couple seconds, depending on how big the document obviously is. It may be a couple minutes if it's a large document, but this will add just a little bit of processing time on the end of each scan. But each scan will be saved to your network with OCR in it. For a lawyer, that's a really good thing. And frankly, for a home user, it's a really good thing. As I talked about in the book, you can do some really crazy stuff with Hazel automatically filing those documents once you uh, perform the OCR. And the beauty about the ScanSnap software is it does it for you. It uses the great uh, Abbey FineReader engine, so it, it, it's a really good job of the OCR, and it just happens as you scan the stuff in.
0: Well, you can find more information about the entire ScanSnap line of products over at com slash ssmpu. That stands for ScanSnap NPU. Or you can click the link in the show notes or on the sidebar of our website, and it will take you directly to their landing page and tell you all about the different scanners that they have to offer, what the difference is between the scanners, and you can find the one that's right for you because I'm sure Fujitsu makes a ScanSnap model that will work for whatever your needs are. And we want to thank them for their sponsorship of the show.
1: You know, something I'd never thought of as I'm sitting here is, you know, I'm used to dealing with word counts. I deal with word counts for books and for articles I write and things like that. But I've never really thought about minute counts. You know, when you write a speech, you have to be conscious of how long the speech is going to be. It doesn't matter how many words it is. It's how long is it going to be, right? Yes. So how how do you predict that? I mean, I guess you have to look at the pace of the speaker is one thing. And you also have to look at the number of words and, and the subjects being covered but how do you deal with that issue?
2: Uh, through a simple rule of thumb. it uh, People talk at a rate of about 120 to 140 words per minute. Most people do. Uh, most people will slow down a little bit uh, when they're uh, giving a speech, or at least they should. So the rule that... that a lot of speech writers use is 100 words equals one minute, give or take. And so if somebody asks me for a 15-minute speech, I know to write, let's say, 1,650 words to be on the safe side. And then, of course, the speaker has to test it out. But generally, you won't be far off by applying that rule.
1: You know, i that's interesting. I'd never thought of that because I should be looking at that when I'm like writing an opening statement or doing some of the things I do. So yeah,
2: another way, another way to count it is you can get about 250 words of text on a single page of double space paper, uh 12 point type. And that'll be roughly a, a minute and a half.
1: Well, when I was in in college, I was a collegiate debater and, I was on the circuit, and nationally ranked. That was a, It was a big deal for me. It completely screwed me up because when you debate, you have to speak as fast as possible because you only have so much time and you have to make your argument and get your citations. It's the, uh, the whole process just screws somebody up as a public speaker because <laughs> it teaches you to speak faster than you should. And for the first several years I practiced law, I had to consciously slow myself down. Now I'm slow as molasses, but the, uh, when I first started, it was like, I remember on the debate circuit, guys would, like, suck a lemon or something before they'd start talking. It was crazy.
2: (laughs) Yeah. uh, If you're giving a speech, uh, my advice is slow it down. If if you talk too quickly, uh, you sound anxious, and that makes the audience anxious.
1: Yeah, makes sense.
0: So Wendy, how do you collaborate with your prospective clients, especially given this this Mac PC barrier that you have? Uh, is it primarily just with emails and PDFs, and how do you how do you share information with them?
2: Uh, yes, through email PDFs, but I also send Word documents uh, when I come up with a draft that's as good as I'm going to get it. I will actually move it from uh, Scrivener into a Word document, give it a, a, a title. I have a little naming uh, convention, and then send that to the uh, client. And often, once I've put it in the Word document, I'll read it through uh, a, a, another time, and I'll make more changes to it, and the, then I'll basically cut and paste it back in or just drag it back into screen. Scrivener, So that I always have the last document I sent in Scrivener, but I've also got these uh, Word files for the client. And so that works out right.
1: Now, Wendy, when you move it to Word, do you export it from Scrivener, like the RTF export, or do you just block and copy the text and paste it into Word?
2: I, I do the latter. Yeah. And I, I know I can do it the other way, but it's it It just seems to me this is quick and easy and always works, so that's what I do.
1: I had the same experience when I was writing my books. I was dealing with a publisher, and I had to put it in Word at the end. And it was easier for me just to put it in as raw text and then do any formatting they required in Word rather than try and, and monkey with a, a process to make that happen in Scrivener. I just look at Scrivener as a place for words.
2: I, I do the same thing.
1: So then you put it in Word, and you send it. Like, do you have anybody you work with that you can send stuff to in, in an Apple format, like Pages, or are they all, all PC?
2: Uh, they are all PC.
1: Uh, isn't that sad? <laughs> so sad. But
2: one one thing I notice is a lot of these PC people are now buying iPads.
1: Yeah. And oh. once
2: they get an iPad, it's sort of, they've been to Gay Paris. And uh, you can't keep them on the farm kind of thing. Now they want a Mac. And, and yeah. I've seen yeah. some people, they, they go to the iPad first and then they say, my next computer is going to be a Mac.
1: I recently had a client who had no idea what a huge Apple nerd I am and all the stuff I do. Just out of the blue said, you know, it would really help if you could send these things to me in pages for the Mac. And I just wanted to go over and kiss him. I mean, (laughs) I've been waiting all my life to have a client ask me that question.
0: (laughs) Yes, I can do that for you.
1: Um, But the uh, it's interesting now when you have these uh, clients on iPads. Do they want to see it in a format for the iPad, or they just still want Word? I, I guess they can open Word on the iPad just as easily.
2: Yeah. No, they they want it in Word. Yeah. And. And you know things are so much easier. Uh I started out, I bought my first Mac in 128k Mac in mm-hmm. 1984. And my I, first Mac too. Oh great. Well, um, I I've used Mac all these years and uh, it's gotten easier to, you know, work with the clients who are on PC than it was before, but uh uh I it's my platform of choice.
1: Yeah. Well, in fact, your husband, Wally, I believe when we did a giveaway at Mac World a few years ago, we had asked the question, who had the oldest Mac? I think Wally won, didn't he? Doesn't he have a bunch of old Macs he still uses?
2: Yes, he does. Yeah. Yeah. Quite a few
0: of them. So, Wendy, let's let's shift gears a little bit, because I know another very large part of the job that you do is you give presentations to people about the type of work that you do. So can you talk a little bit about the types of tools that you use for your presentations and specifically how you go about giving these presentations? Because I know you don't just stand up there and read bullets off a slide on a PowerPoint. I know you don't do that.
2: I uh, run workshops on how to write speeches and how to write presentations. And I even do one on how to uh, put together a memo and then uh, uh, present it as a deck or a full-fledged presentation. And one thing uh, that I agree with is, is if you want people, if you want to engage them and have them stay interested in what you have to say, you've got to work at being interesting. And you certainly aren't if you're just loading up uh slides with a with a bunch of text. So I encourage people to put a lot of focus on their script, what they're actually saying because it's through them uh, themselves that they're going to be persuasive and then to use uh visuals to really reinforce their key ideas and to uh you know in sort of inspire the, uh, the audience to really think about things, which means putting a real focus on images and graphics and using text strategically.
1: Yeah. I think that's a common mistake is you think, well, I can't, you, you know, you kind of go through the whole process where you say, first, you use too many bullet points, you'd make terrible presentations, and then you're just deathly afraid of putting any words at all in the presentation, which I think is also a mistake.
2: Yes. Um, uh, so I encourage people to really use that title area of their slides effectively. Uh, and that's a mistake people often make. They'll, they'll put up a chart and it'll say costs or costs rising or something like that. Why not costs skyrocketing since the price of oil went up or something like that that really gives people a sense of what they're now going to talk about. And then they use the the rest of the slide uh with a chart maybe that shows, you know, this big spike in costs, or uh maybe a graphic or an image there, and then the person speaks to it. Uh, much more interesting to look at than bullet slides. You don't expect people to remember these Discrete uh, lines of text that are that are on the slide. Uh, that's the material you're going to say. Uh, and another reason to get away from bullets is it sort of puts you uh, in the position where you've got to say things in a particular order. And uh, sometimes it just doesn't come into your mind in that particular order. You're going to cover, say, five points. Uh, but so you're not obligated to do one, two, three, four, five, which is sometimes can be boring to people.
1: Yeah, it really is tough. I, I think a lot of this stems to people's in you know internal fear of public speaking. There, there's this part of you that is just convinced when you're going to get up there, you're going to forget everything. And as a result, what people do is they make a slideshow, which is their speech notes. In essence, or it's in some cases it's it's their speech where they write everything down and they stick it up on the screen and then they stand up in front of the audience and they turn around and they start reading along with everyone else and it's really a bad idea and yeah I, I tell people you you just have to trust yourself and you have to practice the heck out of this thing you can't just assume you can just write down a slide and go give a presentation you have to really really practice it and. One thing I tell people to do, I don't know if I've ever said it on the show before, but I know one of my own personal failings is that moment when you first stand up there and the inside of you starts turning into goo and you're not sure you're going to do it right. I always memorize the first like paragraph. I just, I get my introduction down and I nail it and I just have it in my head. So where if I was completely zoned out, I could give that part. And then once I get past that, then I'm great. Usually everything is fine, but Uh, that's as far as I can go in terms of like memorizing or canning something.
2: And and that's a great tactic uh, to use. Another thing to do is is to have your computer set up so that you're looking at the uh, presenter's tools, so that you're looking at uh, the slide that's on the screen and the notes below it, and you can actually see the next slide coming up so you know where you're going to. Uh, or uh something I do is I make a PDF of my slides with the notes put it on my iPad and I quite often I'm I'm standing up at the front of the room talking and I have my iPad nestled in one arm and I've got my whole show right there.
1: Have you tried presenting from the iPad, you know, using Keynote on your iPad?
2: No, I haven't done that yet, but uh definitely I'd like to do that as a backup. Uh Because if something goes wrong with your computer, I always try and and have, you know, uh, a little backup with me, but that would be yet another one.
1: Yeah.
0: Now, how much do you encourage people to put in their presenter notes? Because you're actually teaching people who maybe don't have the most confidence or who maybe are just starting out and giving speech. How much do you tell them to put in their speaker's notes? Because there's always that fear that if there's too much in their speaker's notes, they're just going to stand there and read the speaker's notes right off their computer as well.
2: Yeah. uh, I tell them to put key words and key phrases enough that uh, they can sort of riff off it and keep going. And. Different people need different amounts there. But yes, uh, and that is another problem with putting uh, a lot of text on your slides is uh, when you look at that text, I find it myself. If I look at a lot of text on a slide, I automatically go into reading mode. You have to, it's like an instinct. You have to fight sure. uh, to get away from that. So uh, another uh, mistake I see people make is an Quite often, someone will say to me on the telephone, Oh, I have a great presentation on whatever topic you're working on. I'll be happy to send it to you. And they send me a bunch of slides without any notes.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's helpful.
2: Yeah, it's like there is just a fraction of the information that the person actually gave. So uh, that's why I think there has to be notes. Uh, under the slides that you're sending to somebody to give them a, a fuller idea of what actually was discussed in the presentation.
1: Yeah, if you looked at one of my presentations, it would be like that. Because I almost never use slide notes. Because by the time I give it, I've practiced it so much, I don't need any slide notes. And yeah, the way I make slides, I mean, I'd, my slide might be, you know, a picture of an old car, and you know mm-hmm. it may you know, and it'll have nothing to do the presentation will have nothing to do with cars, but it it fits for something I'm saying, and I think it'd be completely illegible. Is that the right word for this? illegible, maybe unusable maybe that's a better word.
2: Yes, it would only give somebody you know a fraction of the information that they need and i I find the same thing but if I'm giving a workshop where I'm talking all day. Uh, I need to have a fair number of notes because I'm not going to remember all the information that I want to get across to people. So uh, if I have a picture of an old car, there's got to be a fair number of notes there for me to remember all the material.
1: Let's take a moment to talk about our second sponsor, the Omni Group. I, I love the Omni Group product so much. I talk about it on the show all the time. But today was just a typical example of how the Omni Group helps me do my job better. I had a big meeting today, and I've been collecting ideas and things I need to do in OmniFocus related to this new case and the client, and a couple people from the client's business were coming in to meet with me today. So I went to OmniFocus, I got a list of the things I've been collecting relating to the case, some emails that I had saved with the Clipatron, and some ideas, and I put together a nice outline, an OmniOutliner, of, of, of pieces of this case that I wanted to talk about with the client. and. I did that with Omni Outliner on the Mac, and eventually just moved it over to Omni Outliner on my iPad. So then I had a really nice outline for the meeting. It was almost like an agenda view, and then I needed to diagram the relationship between some of the claims and the parties. This is a meeting about a lawsuit, and I opened up OmniGraphle and very quickly put together this really gorgeous looking diagram. And yeah, I saved it out as PNG, so the background was missing and I dropped that into a keynote file which then I put on my iPad. And then I wanted to say what's going to happen in the next 6 months. This is a promise I'm making to my clients and to myself, you know, this is what I'm going to make happen. So I I outlined all the major events for the next 6 months and I did that in OmniPlan. So when I finished that, I put the file onto I made a screenshot of it and and imported it into Keynote on my iPad. So then with a little bit of preparation, my clients all show up for the big meeting and I wirelessly beam from my iPad to the big TV in our conference room and I just open up Omni Outliner and I go through that outline I just talked about and we walk through it together and the clients are looking at the screen seeing what's going on. And then I open a keynote presentation and I go through what we've done and what we're going to do and I show the diagrams of the parties and then I put the screenshot of the OmniPlan in there. And by the end of the meeting... You know, those clients walked in there knowing that they're getting their money's worth, that I'm actually doing work for them here. And it was really a pleasure for me putting this together because it happened so fast. And I was using all these Omni apps that are so awesome on the Mac and on the iPad. I just can't get over how helpful this stuff is. So I used all the apps today. I use OmniFocus, which you can get for the Mac. It's $80 on the Mac or the iPad 40 or the iPhone 20. I use those apps every day. I used Omni Outliner, which is $40 for the regular version, or $70 for the Pro version. The iPad version is $20. And um, then I used OmniGraffle, which you can get for $100 or $200, depending on which version you get. And OmniPlan, which is $200. Uh, all of these are available on the Mac App Store and the related iPad and iPhone App Stores. And if you want to really get your act together, boy, I can't think of a better way than, than picking up these OmniGroup apps. I, I highly recommend them.
0: Wow, that's that's a really great story about an end-to-end solution and how Omni has a product that was there to fill an itch every step of the way. And this was a meeting that you likely would have spent several hours preparing for and several hours actually attending the meeting anyway. And obviously, you would have been prepared. Obviously, you would have put the time in regardless of whether or not you use these tools. But Omni Group was able to not only help you with your planning, probably minimize your time overall that you spent in planning this meeting, saving you time, saving your clients money and allow you to put together this really polished presentation on fairly short notice. And that speaks something to your clients when they say, wow, this, this Max Sparky guy, he's got it all together.
1: Yeah, it was really great. And, um, I just really appreciate the work they do. It makes all of this possible. So thanks Omni group for sponsoring the show. And, um, I recommend you go check all these apps out.
0: You're writing speeches or you're helping people to give speeches that this is probably their livelihood or this is for information that they're giving out to their constituent base, and there needs to be another source of information out there besides just the speech. Obviously, you hope that the speech resonates and that the speech uh, carries itself, but beyond that, what other documentation or what other information do you suggest go out there to accompany the speech, or is that kind of beyond the scope of what, what you do?
2: Uh, most of the time, it is beyond the scope, but uh, you, you've brought up a, an interesting topic. What do you say, what do you show, and what do you hand out? Right. Uh, or and make
0: available later or,
2: or whatnot, yeah. Exactly. And what I find is when it comes to presentations in particular, people often want to put everything, including the kitchen sink, into the presentation. And I say, no, a presentation is a place to discuss important things. Remember, people are hearing it. And even if there are some, uh you know, visuals to go along with it, they're not going to retain a lot. So you've got to just hit the high points in your presentation. So I say, you know, your slide should be pretty scaled down. That's where you just reinforce your main points. You say more than you show on your slides, and that adds to your credibility. You really know your topic, and you hand out even more, or you point people to resources on the web Or whatever. So uh, that's the way to do it so that you don't overwhelm people with information in your speech or presentation.
1: I was once told by a priest that he never saved a soul after 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And that's always stuck with me when I do this stuff.
0: One of the things that you also have to be mindful of is I just came back from a, a conference in, in Washington, D.C., and this is the type of thing where people fly in once a year, they come to this conference, and they give you, when you check in, this big four or five-inch thick binder with all the materials from the conference, and not every session, but you know, it's kind of one of those things where they have a session every every half hour and the The presentation is set, but everybody in there, you know, you're in Washington, D.C., there's a lot of stuff to do. People would flip through and see, okay, what's going on in the afternoon? What kind of handouts and what kind of presentations do I have? And and you would see, depending on what handouts were given and what the topic was, the room would clear out because why do I need to sit here and listen to your speech if you've just given me all of the materials and all you're doing is reading to me uh, the things off of your keynote
1: Okay, here's a here's a here's a slight interjection. Okay. Attorneys are supposed to be good speakers. Attorney continuing legal education is the worst in the planet, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I mean, you you watch these videos these guys make, they're like hostage videos. These guys are like sitting at a table, you know, it's it's terrible. That's the presentations bad. are terrible. We should
0: send them to Wendy's class.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, these guys it's it's horrible. I mean, uh, the ABA Tech Show, where I speak every year, is I think the one exception because those guys actually get it. But so often I go to these legal education things, and I I just wanna I want to hurt myself.
0: It's just so bad. I'm sitting here going, I could be at the Air and Space Museum right now because all you're doing is reading what you've handed me. You know.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I guess that's a question, Wendy. How do you fix that? How do you, uh, as a speaker, how do you prevent people from thinking that?
2: Uh, thinking that they should just read. What's on and the that I don't, slides that
1: I
0: don't even have to come and listen to your talk because you've just handed me out the material and and why do I why do I need to hear you speak because I've got a copy of your slides or I've got your handouts right here.
2: Ah, okay. Well, uh, I think what it is is the idea that you've you're handing out some material. You've got to make it interesting enough to say, hey, i I'd, I'd really like to hear what else this person has to say, or I would like to uh ask this person some questions so that would be one reason to go see them uh th- and there is a debate about whether you should hand out your material ahead of time whether it just it, it does do that makes people say oh all right i see what they're going to be talking about i won't bother going to see them so uh sometimes the the answer might be not to hand it out or to hand it out in a form <laughs> Where it's a little bit of work to look at it right away. Like I've gone to conferences where they give you a CD with all the uh, handouts on it, so it's uh, you, you've got to make a, a real effort, I guess, to to look through the material.
1: I even incorporate that idea into my slide presentations. If I'm going to have something that's going to have to put text on, and and there's three lines of text, you know, occasionally I do have to use a bullet point for one thing or another. Uh, I will not expose them all when the slide opens. I will only expose them because you use animations and Keynote, and they have the same tools in PowerPoint, where you can only show one at a time. Because I don't want their eyes reading the whole list and thinking about item number three when I'm talking about item number one. And Yes. Uh,
2: yeah. As a matter of fact, one day on Twitter, someone wrote, Steve Jobs never used bullet points. And I wrote back to that person and said, au contraire. <laughs> go look at uh, some of his presentations on on uh YouTube you'll see that he did use them and this person did come back to me and say yeah you're right but the reason i realized that he thought he didn't use them is steve jobs built his his uh, bullet points just the way you talked about he never presented you with a you know a slide full of bullet points he built them as he talked. And yes, that is one way of really keeping people's attention.
1: And frankly, when you do think, even when you think you need bullet points, a lot of times you can have points one, two, and three, instead of a bullet point, you can just take a good picture or an image and just break that into three slides. And then it is in essence a bullet point, but it doesn't look like one. I mean, there's ways around it.
2: Back to the handout idea. Uh, One thing you can do is don't give people your slides as your handout. Uh give them a one-pager. And and that's the place to put bullet points to show the material that you're going to cover. And if if they want to see your show, yes, they better come and see you speak.
1: That's so true. Why would you give someone your slides? I just don't do it.
0: A lot of people do. Yeah. Well, because PowerPoint makes it so easy. You just print out your slides with those those lines for notes on the side and people can take notes right on your slides. And I think people have done it just a lot out of out of complacency and, and because, oh, look, the little button's there. It says I can print out my slides with a <laughs> place for you to take notes. Okay.
1: Well, attorneys do it because you're supposed to have written materials whenever you give continuing education. So rather than actually write something, they just print out the slides and hand them out. It's, it's actually a, a technical thing why they do it. But I'm, I'm straying off the beaten path here.
0: Wendy, one of the other things that, that you do is obviously you're running your own business here. So how has your Mac helped you in that endeavor to run your own business? You're, you're really a a sole proprietor or a sole practitioner or a sole therapist or however you, you want to see yourself.
2: Uh, I find there's lots and lots of Mac tools that are very useful for running a business, uh, for instance, one thing I do is I I have a little piece of software, let's see if I can find it here. Uh yeah, called day one. Okay. Uh which helps me run my business in that I like to keep a, a running tab not only on to-do lists, etc., but what did I do in the course of a day? Who did I talk to? What decision was made? Uh etc and so it's running on my computer all the time and as as i talk to people on the phone etc i can make these diary notes and i can't tell you how many times i've had to go back and look in the notes to see if 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 something happened on a particular day or to get someone's phone number or email or whatever and that's
0: that's where it is. Uh, Now I'm not familiar with this application. Is it, is it doing any kind of tracking in the background automatically, or is it more of a journaling or a diary type application where you're going in and putting notes and it's, it's keeping track of it by day and by time?
2: Yes, it's a journaling one. And yes, it's, it's keeping track by day and by time. And it does remind you that you should write in it. I think it's, Technically, it may have been designed for people to journal in, but I find it, it's, it's a good diary, business diary application.
1: That's an interesting use. I, I use Day One as well, and I use it as a personal diary uh, that I don't want anybody else in the world to read. It's just something I started doing with the new year, and I haven't been as good at it as I'd like to be. Someone actually just asked me about this on Twitter a few days ago, but it's a really great application. It, it's on the Mac, and they have an iOS version. It uses a Dropbox Sync. And what I find is using the, the new iPad and the speech recognition, I can just talk an entry into it at the end of the day. And it's kind of fun to just kind of decompress and and just kind of check myself where I'm at. And uh, So I use it kind of more as the intended purpose, but I could see it as a business tool as well because you can search it and you can go back by day. There's a lot you can do with it. The uh, the way I do what you were talking about is I keep a an, a note open in NVALT for every project I work on. And when I talk to somebody, I just put a date string in and, and summarize what was said, which is useful.
2: Ah, okay. Well, I'm using day one for that. I have uh, billings, okay. and I use that to keep track of my hours that I work on every project. Um. Because I, I find, uh, sometimes, uh, a client will want to pay by the hour and other times it's flat fee. But I always want to know how long it took me to do a certain project. Uh, and so then I manually take that information to my bookkeeper, who is also doubles as my husband and triples as my IT department. <laughs> and, uh. You know, these small businesses, we have to do what we can. <laughs> yeah. And he creates me invoices, and uh, and I send those out. So yeah, there's uh, lots of specialized little uh, apps that uh, just make your life easier, and and I think more interesting.
0: And our last sponsor for this show is Gazelle. So, you know, Gazelle has really streamlined the number of products that they offer so that they can give you the most bang for your buck. And they've really got a focus that I know is going to be of interest to Mac Power user listeners especially because they are really focusing on Apple and iOS products. So if you already have or you know you want the latest iPad or iPhone but you're not quite sure that you want to come out of pocket all the money for the upgrade, Gazelle is really the place now and the specialized place to allow you to sell your used iPhone, iPod, iPad, Mac, or smartphone to get some cash and trade up. And the thing that I really like about Gazelle is there is no hassle involved in this process. You go to gazelle.com, you tell them what you have, you tell them what kind of condition it's in, and they give you an offer. If that offer is acceptable to you, you take it, they send you a box, they send you a shipping label, you put your item in there, you send it to them, and then a check comes. It couldn't be simpler. There's no dealing with the guy on Craigslist. There's no dealing with eBay taking a cut every step of the way. There's no worrying about is somebody going to come back and make a claim against you. Gazelle will take care of everything. You know you're going to get paid. You know you're not dealing with somebody shady in a back alley back by the dumpster. And it will be a smooth transaction the whole step of the way. And then you can go get your new device with some of the cash that you have in your pocket now.
1: Yeah, you know, a lot of our listeners, like us, can't wait to get the latest and greatest Apple whatever, right? And you probably have a pretty recent version of the Apple whatever. And a lot <laughs> a lot of times you can really underwrite the cost of upgrade. You, you might not want to spend $500 to get an upgrade. But if you can get 250 back from your old one, you know, you may... Be okay with that, you know. It, it kind of turns out a wash. You can get that fancy new iPad with a high-resolution screen, or whatever it is that you need. Uh, it's a great you service.
0: Want that be- fancy new iPad with the high-resolution screen. Trust me, I just I just traded mine in for a 4G version. Ho, 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 ho. Isn't that great? I didn't I didn't tell you that. Yeah, I swapped out my Wi-Fi for a 4G version.
1: Well, I tell Very people cool. don't look at my iPad three unless you're willing to buy one because I think the screen is completely worth it, and using a service like Gazelle. You might be able to get into one where before you didn't think you could, just getting rid of your old device, getting a reasonable price for it, and like you said, avoiding all the hassle of meeting someone on Craigslist. I just met a guy from Craigslist today. I sold my old lawnmower, and the guy shows up to my house. We had agreed what the price was, and sure enough, he gets up, and he's got $20 less. Mm -hmm. And so what am I going to do? And then you got
0: to bring these weirdos to your house.
1: So, am I going to tell him no? He says, No, this is all I have. I'm going to say, Well, then I'm not going to sell it to you for $20. And then I got to deal with the next weirdo, or am I just going to take $20 less? You know, deal with someone who's upfront like Gazelle. They send you the box. You don't even have to really deal with the shipping. You just put it in, you seal it up, and you send it off, and you get money. So, who could beat that?
0: Now, remember, your gadgets are never going to be worth more than they're worth today. So go to Gazelle, that's G-A-Z-E-L-L-E.com, see what they're worth, lock in your offer for 30 days, and get some cash back for your stuff so you can go buy new stuff.
1: Wendy, the, the other thing you do a lot is you travel. I, I watch you on Twitter, and you always seem to be going somewhere.
0: Yes. if In fact, if you need an assistant, like a personal assistant that just needs to follow you around, I would like to throw my application in for the job. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I've got a big inbox for those applications.
1: <laughs> yeah, but so so you we've done shows on travel before, but I was just kind of curious when you like go. You just got back from Germany, and I know you went to Hawaii earlier. You, you get around. Uh, what's your basic rig when you get on the road?
0: Well, because that's the other part of being a, a sole practitioner is that work doesn't stop just because you're on vacation. I would imagine.
2: That's right. You got to, especially if, if I've planned to say a, an open workshop and people are going to be registering for it. Or I want to check, uh, uh, I have an e-newsletter and uh, I want to check and see how many people actually opened the last issue. And it's, it's, it's a little bit of a thrill to be, you know, in Europe and have, it, having had set your e-newsletter to go out on a particular date and all of a sudden you see a flood of uh, email and you know, oh, it really did go out. So uh, what do I take with me? Well, my iPhone and iPad. And then, as I said, uh, Wally and I share a- an iMac. So all of those go with me. Uh, in addition to the iPhone camera, I always carry uh, a little point-and-shoot camera with me. Um, I have it in my purse all the time. You never know when you're going to see something that you can just snap a picture of it and it, you can put it in a presentation at some point. So, uh, always got that with me. Uh, sometimes a tape recorder. Uh, anyway, we fill up, uh, one of those rolling carry-on suitcases. We fill up a whole suitcase, uh, just with, uh, 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 audio-visual and Mac equipment. And and my husband uh, does a lot of video, so he's got all his video equipment in it as well.
1: Yeah, Wally does the multi-camera shoots every year at the Cirque du Mac show that are so awesome.
0: It is always a thrill to see what Wally comes up with after Macworld. It's one of the highlights of the show, let me tell you. Yes, and we
2: were on... One of the reasons for our trip uh, to Europe was we were on a Mac Mania cruise, and uh, he showed uh, excerpts from uh, the latest uh, uh, Cirque du Mac show. I think there was, uh, what, five or six cameras in operation.
1: (laughs) Yeah. The, the the footage that was swaying was me holding the camera, because at one point I ended up holding the camera, but I had drank a lot, so <laughs> I'm really sorry.
0: <laughs> it just added effect.
1: Probably unusable footage. <laughs> no, I wanted to ask you one other thing, Wendy. We asked this of all our guests. What are the secret little apps you have on your Mac that you like to use in the menu bar or, or just little things you got at the App Store that you use that, that you don't tell anybody about but make your day easier?
0: Maybe like, what what do you use to do? Your your website? I mean, this this can kind of be where you can talk about all those little things that we haven't covered already, maybe. Okay. Um, Yeah, for my
2: website, I use Rapid Weaver. And I really like it because, you know, with my limited uh, skills, I can maintain my website, echeloncom.ca. And uh, so that's one I really enjoy. And I Got uh, a little plug-in, and I actually have a store on my website. I call it the Spoken Word Store. Um, and, and You, you and said you use
1: Alfred as well?
2: Yes, you know, I started to u- use Alfred.
1: That's come a long way, Alfred has. I, I've played with it. I, I still think I prefer LaunchBar, but uh, it's a good app now. Alfred, I think, is is really nice
0: and and then what do you use to manage uh, you mentioned you have a newsletter and then do you do you use another tool to manage registrations and sign ups and all of that to your to your seminars
2: uh yes uh, for well actually to manage uh registrations for my seminars etc i i work with rapid weaver i've got that little store and it's connected to paypal okay which is great because it means that as a small business, I don't have to have uh, merchant services on top of it, which is what I used to have to have. And that was very expensive. So it's become less expensive now for uh, someone who's running a small operation to uh, have workshops and webinars, etc., that, uh, that they're paid for. Uh what else do I use? Ah, uh, Yes, for my e-newsletter, it's called Pen and Podium. And anybody who'd like to subscribe can let me know. And I discuss uh, speech writing, presentation writing, and communications in general, sort of business communications in general. Uh, I use Campaigner, which is a, a Canadian uh, service and uh, uh i'm very happy with it and uh so i put together all my e-newsletters on campaigner and my promos when i'm putting together a, a webinar or workshop or whatever i have a a distribution list to receive uh, um promos for it so uh campaigner works out really well and their headquarters is actually right here in ottawa and so I know it doesn't really make a difference, but it's nice to be talking to someone who I know is just a few miles down the road from me and uh, when I have problems, say at midnight or something, and there's someone there to, to help me out.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: And then for your webinars, is there a, a hosting service that you use to host that? Yes, uh, I use go to,
2: go to Webinar. Okay. And it worked, uh, at, now t- to tell you the truth, I have done exactly one webinar so far. I'm planning to do them more often, but I did a pilot, uh, last fall and it worked out very, very well. And, uh, people signed up and it's, it's a funny feeling to be sitting at your computer and at a certain time you, you just start talking and you're hoping there's an audience out there and, it turns out there is.
0: <laughs> we, we we know how that feels.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I did one of those last year with um, Jason Snell for one of the books I did, and it was like trippy. To be sitting there talking, and you look at the uh, the sheet, and you see all these people's names popping up, and all these people are watching, but you don't feel like it. I I've never really had that experience before. It was it was kind of fun actually. We're talking about maybe taking some of the Mac Power User shows live. We'll be talking about that in the future. Mm-hmm.
0: So any other little app gems, either for Mac or for iPhone or for iPad, that we we haven't covered already?
2: Okay, uh, I'm a fan of Simple Note, uh, and I use that for a, a lot of things, and what I like about Simple Note, too, is that you can share your notes. So say uh, Wally and I are planning a trip, and we got to get a lot of things done around the house, and uh still some... Trip uh, details aren't decided on, or whatever. We can share a note, and as we both think of things, we can pop it into that uh, shared note. Uh, so that works out really well. Uh, I use Things uh, as my to-do list. Uh, I bought it the first time I went to MacWorld, which was uh, about four years ago, and uh, I've been happy. It's it's very, you know, it it's it's. It doesn't have a lot of razzle dazzle to it, but I've set it up so that it suits my personality. And, uh, I, I keep it maintained mostly on my iPad. And that's, uh, sort of my headquarters for my to-do lists. Makes sense. Yeah. Because the one thing about things is you've got to make an effort to get it onto other devices. You can do it, but it, it uh, as far as I know, it's not working through Dropbox yet, or uh, I'm not using Dropbox for it. So I decided rather than make that effort, I'll just use my iPad as my to-do list minder, and, and so that's where uh, I put things in and mark things off.
1: Yeah. I know they're working on synchronization. I just don't know where it stands at this point. I know they've been working on that for a while.
2: Oh, I, I have one more. One more. I'm looking at my list here uh, that uh, couldn't do without, and that is Text Expander. And mm-hmm. I'm sure you've heard that before as well. And I'm sort of addicted to that little pop sound. Uh, but, uh, you know, I work for some organizations with big, long names etc and so uh it really does save me a lot of time and effort uh to memorize some codes and just use text expander uh uh to come up with the the full titles or whatever and uh, the same with the correspondence for my webinars and my workshops um i've got those all on text expander so that i just hit a few keystrokes and and there's the message to uh, someone who's registered.
1: Yeah, it's funny because I, I I have a PC at work I almost never use. And one of the primary reasons I never use it is because I don't use really text expansion. I know there's apps that you can use that will work with your text expander library. But, yeah,
0: breathing and all.
1: But it's just, that's such a big deal to me. I, I'm so used to it. I cannot imagine what it would be like not having text expansion.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of it like I say, that pop sound, uh, it, it sort of helps me keep going.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the sound of productivity. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah that, that's an app where you never lose time in it. Every time you stop to make one, that's never sunk time. You always get that back. And there are not many apps that have that. You know, everything you put into it works. I don't even know how many ex- expansions I have in my text expander library at this point. It's crazy, but it's it's awesome.
2: Yeah, mine is growing by leaps and bounds as well.
1: Yeah, and that's a good point, you know, using uh, strange spellings for names. i Even when I have cases that involve people that have really strange names, I mean, the last thing you want to do is send somebody a letter and misspell their name. So uh, creating expansion snippets for that is a great way to know you always get it right and save you the trouble or the, you know, finger jujitsu re- re- required to type some of these names. Yeah,
2: for sure. Another sound that I've gotten really used to is the sound of pomodoro.
1: Oh, really? Are you so you use the pomodoro technique?
2: I do, and I I, I seem to uh, just go into a trance after I've listened to that tick 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 for some time, and and it helps me stay focused when I'm working on a writing project.
1: Do you use an app on your iPhone for that, or use it on your Mac? How do you what do you use for that?
2: I use it on my Mac. It's called Pomodoro. And you have the little red tomato. Yeah. And and you start it up and I have mine uh organized so that I work for 25 minutes and then it says take a break, which also encourages me to stand up and move around because otherwise sometimes I get so uh focused on a project that it might be 3 hours before I get out of my chair. And uh, that's not good for you.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's a, that's a great way to to force it. If you're not familiar with the Pomodoro technique, that's all it is. It's a uh, the Italian word for tomato, and it's an oven timer. I think how it got started. It was a grad student, I believe. I'll have, to, I'll have to look it up and put in the show notes. But the idea was to have bursts of work with with an expected little break at the end, so you don't spend your time jumping between, you know, Twitter and your Word document. Instead. You just say, okay, I'm going to drill down and work on this for 25 straight minutes and then reward myself at the end. And you set a little timer. You know, I use that sometimes and sometimes I don't. I think I, I could be more productive if I try to use that more often. You ever try that, Katie?
0: Yeah, I use the Pomodoro technique mainly to remind me to focus. Because I I've got to shut my door and get something done, or I don't want to get distracted. And I said, well, if I can just spend 25 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever doing this, then I can go be distracted by something else. Or I just need this much time of interrupted, and then and then you can come ask me whatever question you need to ask me, but leave me alone till then.
1: Wendy, I'm so glad we finally got around to having you on the show. Um, I really uh, appreciate and admire the work you do, and uh, I'm glad you were willing to stop by and and share your techniques with our audience. Uh, One last parting shot, any recommended books on this type of speech writing or presentation stuff that you do? I mean, I'm sure people ask you.
2: Um, Well, I can tell you that uh, a, a colleague of mine actually in the speech writing world has just put out a new book. It's his name is Fletcher Dean. And, I can't remember the name of the book. It's something like Nine Steps to a Terrific Speech or whatever, but he's getting uh, rave reviews for it. So uh, uh, that's a, a good speech-writing book, I would say.
1: Okay, I'll put that in the notes. We'll we'll track it down and uh, put it in. Thanks again, Wendy. Uh, give my best to Wally, and uh, thanks for joining us.
2: Oh, okay. Well, thank you. I'm a big fan of the show, and so it's
0: uh, really been a pleasure. Thanks, Wendy. Thanks, Katie. Bye-bye. All right. Well, we want to thank Wendy for joining us. This has been a great show, and it's been really interesting to see uh, how she deals with her workflows and writes speeches for various politicians and on various topics. Uh, If you want to find links to everything that we've talked about, as well as some lists to suggested reading that Wendy has offered us, take a look over on our website. That's at macpowerusers.com or on the 5x5 website. That's at 5x5.tv slash mpu.
1: Or you can send us feedback to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com.
0: Yeah, or we're on Twitter. The show is at MacPowerUsers. I'm at Katie Floyd, and David is at MacSparky.
1: And we love those iTunes comments, so please keep them coming. And thanks to our sponsors for the show, Fujitsu, Omni Group, and Gazelle.
0: And stay tuned. Next week, we're going to have a special workflow session. We're going to have two back-to-back workflow sessions, and this with our favorite critical geek, John Saracusa of Hypercritical is going to be joining us and talking to us all about his workflows, and that's one you're sure not to want to miss.
1: See you then.